0: Welcome to our one-year anniversary episode. Pondversary one, woo. woo! And episode 55, so it's on a nice round to the fives.
1: Well, yeah, it should be 52 because it's 52 weeks, but we've released four episodes the first week. That's why we're at 55.
0: We're just overachievers, you know, typical <laughs> us.
1: Well, in case somebody listened to the first episode and didn't think we absolutely sucked, we wanted to have other stuff there to keep them interested until we could get more out.
0: That's true. <laughs> And now we're just doing all the bonus episodes so we can bury it as far possible down. (laughs) Please don't ever listen to episode one. Oh, that didn't happen. Don't don't pay attention to that.
1: It's fine. All right, so we are staying in our normal roles for this new episode. Mm -hmm. I'm the good guy. You're the bad guy.
0: Oh, and I'm Bailey. Oh, I'm (laughs) bad. Today's episode, I am going to tell you about a woman named Roxanne Lee Woods. Okay. Roxanne Woods was born April 15, 1956, in Niles, Michigan. As a teenager, she's the oldest sibling. Her parents divorced in split custody of she and her siblings. And since she was the oldest, she kind of ended up being the maternal one of all of her siblings and almost more of a mom to them because she was the constant. She had a total of four siblings with both the same parents and then two half-siblings that were born later on. And she earned the nickname Rock, from her younger siblings because she was their rock. Okay. Right out of high school Roxanne got a job in customer service at Automatic Molded Plastics where she met her future husband Terry and there was a quote from Roxanne's sister. She said she was working at his father's company. Terry was still in high school on the wrestling team and in he walks and he's in his wrestling shorts and whatever and she said the nicest-looking leg she ever saw, and she was smitten by him right away. That's
1: cute. I'm sure it was his leg she was looking at. (laughs) Yeah. In
0: 1982, at the age of 26, she married Terry Wood, conveniently allowing her to go from Roxanne Woods to Roxanne Wood.
1: Oh, that's hilarious.
0: Yeah, and fun fact, her sister, the one that keeps giving quotes about her, later went on to marry Terry's brother.
1: So they were Woods, and then they were both Woods. Woods.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense, when it doesn't make <laughs> sense.
0: On February 19th, 1987, Terry and Roxanne met for a quick dinner before going to the bowling alley for Terry's bowling league night. Around midnight, Roxanne was tired and decided to head out and go home because she had to work in the morning. And Terry decided, I'll meet you back at home. I'll see you later. I'm going to bowl one more game with my friends. And she said, okay. They said their goodbyes for the evening and she went home. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes later, Terry arrived home and parked in the garage and then entered the house. And when he did, he discovered Roxanne on the floor in her nightgown and covered in blood. Yeah. It was discovered, after the initial shock of everything, that she had been beaten with a frying pan and her throat had been cut. Oh my god. she just got home. Just got home. Probably had just had enough time to change into her nightgown, yeah. I
1: wonder if maybe she interrupted someone who was robbing the house, but she didn't realize it until after she'd gotten into her nightgown.
0: Well, you'll
1: find the motive. Oh.
0: After realizing that she wasn't responding, Terry frantically called 911. And during this call, Terry was hysterical and also started getting really angry while communicating with the dispatcher, which kind of put him on the radar of the police as suspicious because he was basically the dispatcher would tell him, they're on their way, can you feel any breaths? Like, is she breathing at all? Is there any possible way you can perform CPR? And he kept going, she's dead, okay? I don't know what to tell you. Get them here now. Like, and getting frustrated with them. Well, of course he was frustrated. And that's what I said. You don't know how in a situation like that, some people might start crying and sobbing. Some people are going to be like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this happening to my wife, you know? Right. And that just seems like how he processed the situation and tried to express to them, this was urgent. This is not a, oops, she fell. This is a, we need help, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Also, during that call, he realized that she had her nightgown on, but... Her underwear were down around her ankles, and he kind of realized, clearly, that was the motive.
1: Yeah.
0: The police immediately began to hone in on Terry, as they usually would with the husband, especially if he's the one that found her, mostly because there was no forced entry in the home. And Terry explained to them, yeah, there's no forced entry, nothing's broken, but the back door lock has been broken for a while now. So probably they came in, tried the door, and it opened, and that's how they got in. But it kind of looked bad for him because the murder weapon, which was a fillet knife, the sheath had been found near Roxanne's body. The knife was gone. But that knife had been taken from their kitchen drawer. Okay. That means that whoever did this seemingly came into the house through the back door that somehow they knew didn't lock and used their knife just a
1: little. Pondering. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's that uncommon for someone to come in and use a found object
0: mm-hmm. yeah. to
1: murder a homeowner.
0: Yeah, especially if he didn't come in there necessarily to kill her. If he was just there to assault her and she started fighting back a little bit harder than he anticipated, Yeah. of course you might grab the first thing and...
1: Yeah. And just because they came in the unlocked door doesn't mean they knew the door would be unlocked.
0: Yeah, you could have been walking around for hours trying to find one that was.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to break into somebody's house, are you going to go to the front door or are you going to go to the back door where you're less likely to be seen? Yep. So...
0: Yep, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't have thought that that necessarily means Terry did anything. The police did collect some DNA at the crime scene, so specifically they found semen on her body... They didn't have anything in 1987 to do with that, so they kind of just preserved it, put it in storage, and again, fingers mm-hmm. crossed, something in the future will come out. Despite their suspicions of Terry, they never had enough evidence to even arrest him, and he was giving everything. He was like, here's my fingerprints, here, I have no defensive wounds. So, But the knife was still missing, wasn't it? The knife they never found, yeah. Okay. So the knife, they have the sheath, but they don't have the knife. Right. And as far as an alibi and everything, Terry was cleared. He was at the bowling alley. There were people there. There were people that said, yeah, he kissed her goodnight, and then she went home. And from the time when he left the bowling alley to when he got home, that's exactly when he placed the 911 call. So there was no in-between time for him to be doing anything to her. He
1: he wasn't home for an hour before he called.
0: Right. It didn't make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. It actually went cold, not shockingly, until 1999, the DNA sample was finally uploaded to CODIS, but they came back with no match yet. They also, at this point, took the DNA from Terry. He gave it willingly and said, just clear me. I'm done with this shit. And he was found not to be a match to the semen found on Roxanne's body. Mm -hmm. Again, went cold, never had anybody pop up in CODIS. Until 2020, the DNA sample was once again taken out of storage to see what they could do with it now with all the new technology. When they pulled it out and started looking at it, they realized the amount that they would need in order to get a profile put together on this person. Related to or what ethnicity, all that stuff. They only had 3% of what they would normally need in order to okay. make that profile. So it was very slim chance that they would even be able to use this sample at this point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, after hearing about the dwindling DNA, genetic genealogist Gabrielle Vargas decided, she works for Parabon, decided to try her hand at it and she was successfully able to build a family tree. Good for her. Yep. And she not only built family tree, she went all the way back to the 1700s. She found every person in this guy's family and she said, motherfucker, we got you. (laughs) Wow. And it only took her four days to do
1: it. Wow.
0: Finally, she narrowed it down. I know. She narrowed it down to the parents of the perpetrator and found out that they had three sons and I think they had some daughters too, but obviously semen, they knew it was man. When they narrowed it down to the three sons, two of them didn't make sense for the murder, I think because they were either so young or they didn't live in that area at the time. Cross them out, now we have one. The third son was identified as Patrick Wayne Gillum. At the time of Roxanne's murder, he lived about four miles away. Patrick Gillum had, back in 1979, walked into an unlocked home and attempted to rape another woman in Gary, Indiana. Hmm. That woman had fought him off, and eventually, because she survived and went to the police, he was caught and arrested and given 14 years in prison for that crime. That was 1979. Unfortunately, after seven years, he was released early, Mm -hmm. just in time for Roxanne Wood's murder in 1987, only four months after he was
1: released. Didn't learn his lesson. Well, and we never learn our lesson. Mm -hmm. Don't let violent criminals be released early. Yeah, and then they keep those
0: oh he sold weed when he was 16 for 45 years in prison. Yeah, like seriously. Fuck's sake. I don't know. Police they're pretty positive. They've got their guy. I mean, they have DNA, but just to be sure, they still had to get a sample from him. So they began to trail Patrick, waiting for him to throw something away that they could use to acquire his DNA. And finally, after days and days and days of just silently undercover watching this guy, Troopers watched as he tossed a cigarette to the ground and they collected it. However, when they gave that to be tested, the DNA came back as not a match to the sample they have on file. And they were very confused about that until the trooper who had collected it came forward and said, yeah, I watched him throw the cigarette on the ground, but as I was about to cross the street to go grab it, another car came by, and so he thinks that car threw a cigarette, and he accidentally grabbed the wrong one. Oh. And turned it in, and he was just too embarrassed, but he had to come clean, because he didn't want to compromise this investigation for that. So he said, all right, my bad, guys, and he was the one undercover going forward. He said, I'll do it again, and I'll do it right this time, I swear. And that trooper was named Ryan Cod." As Ryan Cod, the trooper, started, again, tailing Patrick, he saw Patrick hanging around a gas station and smoking a cigarette again. And so he said, I'm not letting you out of my sight this time. Yeah, seriously. And what he decided to do, even though this trooper was not a smoker, he went into the gas station and bought a pack of cigarettes and started just lit one up right next to him and just struck up conversation with Patrick and started, oh, do you see that game over the weekend? And they talked for a while until Patrick threw a cigarette on the ground and this time he was, I immediately got the glove out and just grabbed it and he right ran off. Right there in front of him? Yeah, he's just, he was <laughs> like, I'm not letting this out of my sight this time, bye. Good day, sir. <laughs> and so he caught that cigarette, and then he turned it in, and this time they had a 100% match to the sample from 1987.
1: Good job. Good job, Trooper.
0: In February of 2022, 35 years after Roxanne's death, Patrick Gillum was arrested in South Bend, Indiana... They had to interview him after arresting him, and he essentially just kept saying, I can't believe I could do something like that, but you're telling me I did. You have evidence that I did, so I don't know what to tell you. And Mm. that was all he would say. So you have a lot of memory loss then. (laughs) Well, they did say he was very happy. He had several arrests because he was constantly on drugs, constantly drunk, getting into altercations with people and stuff. So it's totally possible he doesn't remember that happened, but... He's not saying I wouldn't do that. He's saying, well, I can't believe I did, but I mean, you're telling me it did, so I guess it did.
1: Mm. Well, being under the influence of drugs or alcohol is not an excuse for committing a crime, so too bad if he doesn't remember it.
0: Yeah. Personally, I've been drunk quite a bit in my life, and I've never once been like, you know what sounds fun? I think
1: just I'll go rape and you. stab somebody. Yeah, I'll just. Yeah. So, she finally got her justice. Finally got her justice. And finally,
0: after all this time, Terry, thanks Sky Kitty, Terry was still alive. He still is. And finally got to be exonerated. Because he was officially. But most of the town thought he did it. Most people were, like, shunning him. Even some people in her family. And he was mourning, too. He had nothing to do with this. He's the one who found her and had to live with that sight for the rest of his life. Yeah. And so, finally, he got justice. And I... I'm so happy that he actually got to be alive during that, and it came now.
1: Yeah, probably Mm 60-something.
0: Yeah, and so is Patrick. He's now 67. And Uh, if he
1: had not been let out early, he probably never would have committed this mm -hmm. act of violence to this poor woman who just... he
0: should have been in jail.
1: She was tired and wanted to go to bed, and this asshole walks in her house, Mm -hmm. sexually assaults her, and murders her
0: he did receive 23 to 50 years of prison for roxanne's murder but considering he was 67 at his sentencing that means by the time he's even eligible for parole he'll be 90 and honestly with all the drinking and drugs he allegedly did when he was young i can't see him lasting to 90. yeah so he's currently being held at carson city correctional facility and that's
1: we got him good job I have another really amazing survivor today, and I was just so excited to do this story. There may be some people who know her because she has done a lot in the world. Let's just talk about her. All right, I'm interested. Kelly Heron is the name of the woman I'm going to tell you about today. She grew up with very loving parents. Her dad, a doctor, spent a lot of time working, but he always made a point to be there to support her in her athletics. Mm -hmm. And so they were very close. And when he died, when Kelly was 19, she began to drink more as a means of coping with the pain of her loss because she didn't know any other way to cope with it. Mm -hmm. But she drank and drank and drank over the years. And in 2015, she decided that alcohol had become too big a part of her life. She felt it was becoming a problem and she decided at age 38 that she was going to quit drinking and she set a goal to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. Well that's a big goal for someone who hasn't even been a runner before. So rather than reach for a drink, she decided she was going to start training and this would always give her something she could do mm-hmm. when she was feeling the urge to drink. Yeah. She became this person that she thought was something of a surprise because she was really intrigued. Maybe this was the person that she was supposed to be. As she started running, and remember her initial goal was to run a marathon, she gradually decided to run a race per month rather than train specifically for a marathon. And that way she could work up to these bigger goals. Mm -hmm. Running became her release, her focus, and her reward. As her mom, Nancy, saw Kelly's interest in running growing, it made her want to start running again. She had always been a recreational runner, and she had stopped as she got older. So, the two gave up their previous activity, which had been bar hopping, and instead spent time running together. Are you trying to tell me something, Mom? (laughs) We're not going to bar hop anymore. We're going to run. Yeah, I mean, that might be good for us. By March 2017, Kelly had been running for close to two years, and she again set her goal to run the Chicago Marathon. She Mm -hmm. finally wanted to do it. She had been marathon training now for 10 weeks. She was preparing by doing daily training runs, and on this day... Overcast, windy, rainy, cold. It was like 38 degrees outside. Mm -hmm. She set out to do her first double-digit 10-mile run from her home through Golden Gardens Park and back to home. Almost no one else was at the park because of the weather. And at almost the halfway point at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, she decided to stop and take the opportunity to use the park bathroom. She was still wearing her ear warmer, still wearing her headphones. She didn't pause her GPS, she just thought she'd real quickly get in there, use the bathroom, and get out and finish her run. Mm-hmm. She went in the bathroom, and it appeared to be empty. She used the bathroom. She stepped out of the stall and washed her hands. And as she went over to the hand dryer, she started getting a creepy feeling down her spine, like she wasn't alone. She had a real chill. She went over to the dryer, and as she turned around, she saw that she wasn't alone at all. Her first instinct, as many women will be able to relate to, was, Oh, sorry! Sorry! Because even if you haven't bumped into somebody, we always say, sorry, sorry for existing like we've been, yeah, yeah, like, oh, sorry, I made any kind of impact upon your day Mm -hmm. as if she might have startled someone. But then she realized that wasn't the case. This wasn't a woman that she had overlooked in the room. This was a man who had been hiding a man with a great mess of auburn colored hair and a shaggy beard. Hoodie pulled all the way up, terrible body odor, and he had been hiding in the accessible stall at the far end of the bathroom.
0: Oh, so he was there the whole time. He didn't just follow her in there.
1: Yeah, he'd been there before she got there. Oh, that
0: gives me icky feelings. Okay. Yeah.
1: He had come out of the stall, and as she noticed him and she realized that she was in danger, he lunged at her, grabbed her, backed her into a corner, then kicked at her knees and legs until he could push her down to the ground. She was nearly nauseated by his pungent odor, and he started trying to roll her over onto her stomach. The moment he grabbed her, Kelly's fight instincts kicked in. Three weeks earlier, she had taken a self-defense class, because this scenario had been one that she consciously feared. She knew there were dangers to women who run alone. The first words out of her mouth, unplanned, were, Not today, motherfucker! (laughs) No. And it's funny, because we're going to hear that word a lot in this so, mm-hmm. and you said it in yours. We never use that word in our episodes, but today we're going to have it like 15 times.
0: I use it a lot in my personal life, so I get it.
1: <laughs> she learned in her self-defense class that if you can present yourself as not being intimidated, not being afraid, that mm-hmm. might be enough to deter some attackers. So she decided to convince this predator that she was going to be more trouble than she was worth to him. Mm-hmm. She started using all the techniques that she had been taught. the entire time she was fighting him back she kept shouting at him i'm gonna kill you not today motherfucker she was going to get away from this guy she was determined she fought him until she got to where she could see his face she got rolled over she started clawing at his face and his eyes when his face started to bleed and she saw him wince, she was empowered she knew it was working she pounded him in the face with her free forearm she kept fighting but she was getting really exhausted She'd already run four and a half miles by well, yeah, this point. yeah, she's in the
0: middle of a workout. Jesus.
1: She was fighting him so ferociously that she wondered how he wasn't getting tired. But she couldn't quit. She managed to get turned over fully onto her back, which allowed her to throw her leg up and scamper away from him. She went under the wall of the stall, and she was going back and forth under the toilet partitions, mm-hmm. going from stall to stall, just trying to get away from him. She thought that if she locked herself into the stall, it would give her a little bit of safety. So she kicked at the door and got it jammed so that it wouldn't open. And then the attacker also started to climb underneath the toilet partition. So he stood up in the stall with her. He hit her in the head several times. He pushed her down on the floor and climbed on top of her again. But she reached her arms out under the stall door and pulled herself out under the door of the stall. (sighs) This woman is just like Mighty Mouse. Good Lord. Okay. She was able to jump up and get on her feet, and when she thought she might pass out, she heard a voice in her head, the same voice that she said she would hear at the last quarter mile of a race, and it told her, come on, Kelly, you're almost there. Do not quit. Go hard. And she bolted out the bathroom door. Once outside, three people happened to be walking by. Remember, she had hardly seen anybody in the park all day today. But three people happened to be there, and one of them asked if she was okay because her face was cut, she was bleeding, she was probably breathing like a a maniac. You know, she just Oh, yeah, and the look on her face must have been just frantic. Absolutely. She went back towards the door, and the bystanders are warning her, well, don't go back in there. (laughs) She's like... (laughs) And she thought, well, no shit, Sherlock. But what she was doing was to take a keychain carabiner to lock the park bathroom door with the attacker inside. Um, Smart. I don't think I would have thought to do that, maybe block it, but she actually used it to jam the door shut so he couldn't open it.
0: Oh, yeah, most people would be so terrified. They'd just be like, get me as far away from this place as possible right now.
1: Yeah, but knowing that that guy's in there, if Mm -hmm. he just comes out and does it to someone else, how's she going to feel? Yeah. So they called the police who arrived, apprehended the man out of the bathroom, and arrested him. The struggle had been a fight for her life. And you can see that on the GPS map of her route that day. There's a smooth line going into the bathroom. And remember, she didn't turn it off because she was just going to be in there real quickly. Yeah. There's a smooth line going into the bathroom. And from there, it's just a frenzied tangle, a fight and struggle. Just, it's crazy. I'll post the picture of that on Instagram. But Kelly felt that although her adrenaline definitely gave her an edge and strength and vigor that helped her to overcome, She also felt that her self-defense class had taught her several things that made a difference in her ability to overcome and escape this assault. She said she had previously been putting off that class for six months and had finally signed up at the last minute for it only three weeks prior to this attack and she had just barely made it. She was the last person to arrive for the class. Kelly said that one life ended that day and a new life began. Mm -hmm. She said she knew she had survived an ordeal that some people have not survived 84% of women runners have been harassed while they were running. This year alone, how many stories have we heard of women that have been attacked, kidnapped, or murdered while they were just out running, Mm -hmm. doing this one thing Mm -hmm. that they do only for themselves, and people just can't let them have that. They have to find them when they're vulnerable, when they're alone, and try to take this thing away from them. Kelly's attacker was a transient sex offender, which is why he he smelled so bad. His name was Gary Steiner. He was 40 years old, and he was from Arizona. He was charged with attempted second-degree rape and second-degree assault with sexual motivation, with his bail set at $750,000. It took a year before the man was brought to trial. Kelly was able to make an impact statement in court in front of her assailant, and she said that she had never felt stronger or more powerful in her life. In March 2018, Steiner was sentenced to three years for the attack on Kelly. Shortly after this awful attack, a group called Just Want Privacy, who is an anti-transgender propaganda group sent out emails and ran a campaign using kelly's face and her experience as a scare tactic saying quote each week yields new stories of deviant men who found ways to access females vulnerable spaces in order to exploit them and rightfully kelly went ballistic of course the man who attacked her was deviant but he was not trans This issue was a complete straw man that this group was exploiting to try to frighten people to agree with their anti-trans attempts to overturn the state of Washington's non-discrimination protections for trans people. Mm -hmm. Trans people had nothing to do with this attack on Kelly. Ugh!
0: Piss me off.
1: She issued an immediate response to this, saying in a press release, quote, To the people behind this proposed ballot initiative, I say, Not today, motherfuckers. I refuse to allow anyone to use me and my horrific sexual assault to cause harm and discrimination to others. Days later, the Just Want Privacy Group issued a statement again saying they would welcome the opportunity to apologize to her in person if she would like to reach out to us or provide a way for us to reach her. But although they were willing to apologize, they stood by their claim that somehow this cisgender male attack on a woman in a public restroom was evidence of danger to women from transgender individuals. Kelly's final comment on this situation was, quote, I have transgender friends. I have transgender co-workers. When I see them in the bathroom, I ask them about their lip gloss. My transgender friends, just like me, want to use the bathroom and get out safely. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. As for her attacker, who was convicted, Gary Steiner served only 15 months because what? he died behind bars.
0: Okay, thank God. I mean, sorry, thank <laughs>
1: sorry, Kitty. When Kelly was asked if she had been told how he died, she replied, I think karma got him. But she didn't really have the answers. She wasn't told. But she did find some closure in the knowledge that he wasn't ever going to come out of prison again because he had admitted that he could not control the urge to violate women. But wait, there's more. Uh Kelly Heron was physically assaulted while running a second time in October of 2018 during the final mile of the Girlfriend's Run for a Cure half marathon in Vancouver, Washington. She was running mile 12, and there was a guy just creeping around alongside the course. No one was close, either in front of her or behind her, Mm -hmm. and the guy was just watching her with the creepiest look. Like he recognized that she was alone, physically tired, vulnerable... He seemed to recognize all these things, and she just kept running. He ran up to her, put out his arms, firmly grabbed her on the rear end, and then he ran off. And although she had been running a really great race, and she was on course to just come out of it with a great time, she turned around and started chasing this asshole. Good. She continued chasing him, and she was yelling, Assault! Assault! Until the race personnel, heard her, came and got the guy. Mm-hmm. So they caught him. They tackled him. She went back to running the race and just finished. Just finished the race. Afterward, the police found her, took her report, and that guy was also arrested. I don't have the name of that moron. Mm-hmm. Keller herself is an absolute warrior. She has motivated and inspired women around the world to take their safety as their priority. And even without any self-defense training, it seems as if Kelly would have found a way to save herself. Mm -hmm. But she also credits the love and support of her mother, Nancy. In that Chicago Marathon, after her attack, Kelly ran it with her mom, and Kelly struggled at the 15-mile marker. Race personnel kept intervening and trying to help her and asking her if she wanted to leave the race. They wanted to escort her off the race course. Mm -hmm. But Kelly's mom, Nancy, knew her daughter would regret it if she didn't finish. And so each time someone tried to escort Kelly away, Nancy shooed them off. Kelly said that if she had quit, she probably never would have returned to training again. And she finished that race with her 70-year-old mom by her side. Nancy knew all of this because she had been running all her adult life, and it was her inspiration that brought Kelly into the sport. Kelly and her mom had to stop their running together in 2019 because Kelly moved to the Jersey Shore with her fiancé, Jonathan. They both still run and still share their training regimens. They talk about their rest and recovery strategies, and they both have their own goals, Mm -hmm. their love for each other, their respect for the strong women who came before them and their family, and their hopes and dreams for the future keep them close and strong, like the warriors that they both are. And Kelly also started her own online platform called, of course not today (laughs) mf.com promoting messages of empowerment safety tips and stories and support for runners she has a mantra that says we do not have to let it go and this means that women have been putting up with men's crappy behavior for far too long letting small infractions go very often will later turn into escalated behaviors so she does not believe in letting the small, deviant behaviors go. Catching them now may save someone from something far worse in the future. She's not standing for people's crappy behavior anymore. She's over it, and she will not let it go. Kelly also created a t-shirt that she sells, and she donates the proceeds to Face Forward International, Aww. which is faceforwardintl.org, which provides pro bono reconstructive surgery and emotional support to survivors of domestic violence human trafficking, and cruel acts of crime. And I think you mentioned them in one of your episodes.
0: Yeah, I didn't know they had an international one, too. That's cool.
1: Interesting. So if you want to purchase a Not Today Motherfucker t-shirt, you can get one at Amazon.com, or you can get one at NotTodayMF.com. I absolutely want one. (laughs) So if you go to Amazon to search for it, look for Not Today NTMF. Okay. And there's a whole line of shirts. And what you'll see is that it's basically not today, motherfucker, and the background behind that is the GPS route, that frenzied line that she ran while she was trying to get away from this (sighs) guy. Kelly now runs wearing Aftershocks headphones, which sit on your bone right in front of your ear Mm -hmm. instead of over your ear so you can hear everything in the background that's going on around you. And transmit the sound through your bones so you don't miss out on the music you're listening to or the podcast you're listening to. That's cool. Yeah, they look kind of odd, but they are great, and they're really sworn by. A lot of runners use them, especially women runners. You should not be using anything that's actually going to keep you from hearing what's going on around you. Yeah. She keeps her head on a swivel. She takes note of suspicious people. She makes solid eye contact so they know that she has seen them. She tells people to trust their instincts and react immediately. Be loud. Fight hard. Hit hard bones into soft flesh. Use the power within yourself and put that out there. And she says, go savage. Like many of our survivor stories, Kelly wants people to take a self-defense class. As stated on the Aftershocks blog, if you ever find yourself in a fight for your life, know that you have a badass warrior within you that will take the wheel. So teach it to drive. Doesn't that make perfect sense? It does. Your instincts want to save you in these situations, but you have to give your instincts a little bit of training so they know what to do, how to react. And when Robin Roberts asked Kelly if her mother Nancy has taken a self-defense class, Kelly replied, she has, but no one's going to mess with her. And that sounds like damn good advice to me. (laughs) And that is the story of Kelly Heron, who is... Just amazing. Yeah. And I watched a lot of videos that she had done. I listened to a lot of interviews that she did. Mm-hmm. And she really wants people to protect themselves. It is insane how many women are just doing this one thing that they do for themselves. It may be the only thing they do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they want to go out and run. They want to feel the freedom of running. And then all of a sudden society's like, oh, well, you should run in groups. You should run with someone else. You should run... On a treadmill in your house. You should run where it's safe, where people can keep an eye on you. That's the whole point of running for them is that they're out by themselves. They're doing what they want to do. And so what Kelly wants to do is allow these women to find the happy medium where they're running. They're getting the freedom, the feeling that they want to get. She said, carrying mace doesn't do you any good if it's in your fanny pack.
0: You can't get
1: that out. She wears a little knife ring now Mm -hmm. when she's running. And nobody can take that away from her unless they rip it off her finger. But she's going to get them before they get that off her finger. She has all kinds of ideas like that. She has all kinds of suggestions and Mm -hmm. advice. And that website, nottodaymf.com, basically it sets out to help women runners and everyone basically but especially women runners. That was her initial focus, to help them be safer, to layer on these little other safety mechanisms that will help them escape like she did.
0: You don't want to think about that could be me someday, but unfortunately, whether you think about it or not, it could be you someday, so let's think about it and
1: have a plan. I think that violence against women is so prevalent that we don't have the luxury of saying that won't happen to me. I hope it never happens to anybody, but you know what? It happens to people every single day. And it it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So please go check out that website. And on the back of that t-shirt are the four foundations of things that she felt were the things that saved her. Trust your intuition. Respond immediately. Be loud and fight hard. Hard bones to soft flesh. Use those elbows. Mm. You know... Yeah. So, I love Kelly Heron, and I wish all good things to her. Well, family, thank you for being here today. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at True Crime b and you can send us an email at Pod at gmail.com. Yep. All right, guys. Thank you, Crime Fam. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. To stop the Pretty horizon. quick,
0: actually. It's in like one bulletin point. After one we, bulletin point, in one more bulletin point further, you know. Bulletin point. Oh Bu- uh, fuck! I'm still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Some things we just have, have to accept will never change about me, and that's one. Yes.
1: It's time to drink and squeak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you raised your hand like you're gonna ask a question, and so I said yes, and you're just like squeak squeak.
1: The blowy thing. Though. Hand dryer? Yes. (laughs) Letting small infractions grow. Letting small infract... Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck his eyes. I don't care what happens to him after that.